Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, and if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Today's buzz, ooh, banking fraud, listen up. Tell you about some people in the world today. They're smart, they're creative, and guess what? They're determined to make your money their money. How? They're succeeding way past anything we want them to succeed at using a special recipe that's an expert blend of new technology with what I like to call old-fashioned chutzpah, and I know how to say the word. What is our challenge? We have to harness the best technology to detect emerging fraud patterns and stop today's sophisticated cyber criminal organizations. And yes, they are organizations. Don't kid yourself, not just one at a time. They are groups. From digging deeper into our collective pockets and our goal, put them out of business. So how are we doing so far? Hmm. The experts speak, and I do have a panel of experts today who are going to help us figure this out. First up, I'll introduce you to in just about two minutes is Prakash Santana from Deloitte. And his question is to banks, do you have any idea who your customer is? We'll find out what he means by that. Also joining us, another return guest is Nuno Sebastio from Feedseye. And he says, when banking systems cannot distinguish customers from criminals, guess what? The bad guys win. To outsmart the bad guys, we have to fight fire with fire. And those are fighting words from Nuno, and he will explain them in a moment. And rounding out our panel today is Carl Snyder, a friend of ours at SAP. And he has this quote to say, as fraudsters become more and more sophisticated, especially in the online and credit card space, leveraging predictive analytics, everybody remember that, predictive analytics and immediate fraud detection must become the gold standard in the battle against fraud for banks and credit card companies. Good words of wisdom from Carl Snyder. So join us for their very sharp insights on banking fraud. Can technology outsmart the bad guys, and I have to say, and the bad girls and gals, because we're in the age of PC. Part two, welcome. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP. If you're keeping count, this is episode number 112, little show we started a little over two years ago, and we are live today. It's Wednesday, November 20th. My goodness, where has the year gone? So let me introduce you. By the way, please join us on Twitter. My co-producer, uh, Malcolm Kimberlin, is tweeting at hashtag SAP Radio, as am I. If you have something to say on the topic, we'd love for you to join us live at hashtag SAP. Radio. Now I'm going to introduce my panel. Prakash Santana is director of Deloitte Financial Advisory Services, LLP. Prakash is here with us today because he's worked in the fraud and risk management groups of large credit card issuers and payment startups for 18 years and more before joining Deloitte. He has extensive experience in the types of frauds that are committed and the analytics required to detect fraud where, everybody listen up, at the point of sale, that's what we want, including credit and debit card fraud, ACH fraud, check fraud, online fraud, and online application fraud. And prior to Deloitte, Prakash spent two years as the co-founder of an investment management company focused on detecting insider trading. Those are big missions and goals. Welcome back. Prakash, how are you today? Very good, Bonnie. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, pleasure to have you. Tell us, where are you calling from, Prakash? Uh, calling from New York City. 
Okay, so you're sharing beautiful blue skies and probably a little crisp and cold today, yes? Yes, yes, indeed. Yes, well, glad to have Blue Skies and glad to have Prakash with us. Thank you for calling in, and we have a lot to talk to you about. Joining us also on the panel is another returning guest, Nuno Sebastio. He is the CEO at Feedzai, F-E-E-D-Z-A-I. He brings his experience in infrastructure and services as well as corporate management skills to his role as CEO. Before Feedzai, Nuno led the development of the, wow, European Space Agency Satellite Simulation Infrastructure. That's a big business card, Nuno. And before his tenure at the European Space Agency, he was co-founder at Evolve Space Solutions, a services company working in the aerospace domain. He has an MBA from the London Business School. Welcome, Nuno. How are you? Very good. Here in foggy, not sunny uh, Bay Area. Okay. Glad you're with us. Nuno, quickly, tell me, how did you go from, I probably asked you the first time you're on the show, but I don't remember. How did you go from working on a space agency and space solutions and agency satellite simulation structures to fraud detection. Where's the line I'm missing? Uh, Where's the link? Yeah, common denominator, uh, real-time data modeling. That's what it's all about. Uh, Ah. So it's working with large data sets that you have to in real-time model and get insights from. That's That's what it's all about. Very interesting. Well, that's interesting. They say take what you know and create a career or a mission or a goal out of it, and it sounds like that's what you did. Wonderful, and thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure to have you back. And on our panel today is our friend Carl Snyder from SAP. Carl is a senior industry principal in the financial services division for SAP North America. He's focused on retail banking, core banking transformation. Here are the keywords, fraud and risk, and the customer experience. Carl came to SAP with over 20 22 years in the banking industry before SAP, he was president of the Zions Internet Bank at Zions Bank and executive VP and director of retail bank operations for Zions Bank Corporation. So, Carl, you've been in the trenches. You worked with online and transactional fraud, identity theft. You even served on the Utah Attorney General's Task Force for Identity Theft. So you're very qualified to be with us. Welcome, Carl. Uh, Tell me, where are you calling from and what's your weather today? Well, thank you, Bonnie. I am calling just outside of Salt Lake City, and it's uh, quite chilly, and I'm expecting a little snow today, but I'm heading out on the road to Des Moines, Iowa, later this afternoon. So, I hope the roads are clear and you can keep your snow. Thank you very much. Yeah. We had a surprise snow flurry about a week ago here in New York, and I thought it was the blossoms from that didn't exist from the cherry trees falling out of the sky. Very, very odd. Okay, it's time to pull apart our opening. Let's find out what you each meant by the wonderful quotes you sent me. Very on point. Let's start with Prakash Santana from Deloitte. Do you have any idea who your customers, who are we speaking to here, Prakash? Our topic is stopping the bad guys from bank fraud. So who are we addressing in your quote, please? Yeah, sure. Um, so first, uh, let me start off by saying that uh, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, the holidays are upon us, so obviously the criminals make a note of that, and, uh, and oh, yes. we're therefore going to see an increase in fraud uh, because not only because customers shop online more often, but they actually do research online to find out the best deals, even if they shop at a store. So when I say uh, when I tell, when I ask that question, do you know where who your customer is? Most of the issues with online fraud result from hacking. Either the customer account has been compromised, or there are other ways of getting to the customer account, even if the banks have secure methods to authenticate a customer. One method could be that a hacker could get into a customer's email account because email passwords are pretty weak. 
So mm-hmm. once they get the email account, they go and look up the financial institutions they have transacted with and simply go to that financial institution's website and click on uh, Forgot Password. So they get their email ID and password. And then now from the, uh, I'm sorry, the user ID and password, and from then on they can log into the financial institution. So the key question, therefore, is if a if the assumption from the institution's point of view should be that the end consumer's device, whether it's a laptop or a tablet or a mobile device, is already mm-hmm. compromised. And the question is, can the bank identify the, if a particular transaction happens because of a mal because of malware resident on the device? Can the bank identify that particular transaction is different from the transaction that they've observed from the customer in the past? The key question is, therefore, creating a digital signature of a customer's behavior uh, online and and identifying or detecting any deviation from that digital signature. So that question is related to that. Identifying, can you identify or can you create a digital signature for each customer when they do when they shop online or when they transact online and therefore be able to identify if it is not that customer thank you prakash very interesting uh, one or two quick anecdotes before, anecdotes before we get to nuna we're looking for the antidote actually uh, i watched on 60 minutes a couple weeks ago the the horrific tale of a us photojournalist who was on assignment in syria taking war pictures he was abducted put into uh, six jails one after the other one worse than the other with torture for i think it was 210 days before he literally climbed out of the wire attached bars in one of the prisons. But what's interesting was they were so sophisticated and so simple, Prakash, they simply went to him while they were torturing him and said, give us all of your IDs, all of your passwords. They went online and they charged, uh, let's see, they bought uh, fancy sunglasses, they bought Mercedes car parts, and they bought uh, iTunes, a lot of online music with his passwords and ID, but they forced him to give him their information. The only clue was that they emailed his mother using his ID to sign on to his email account, and they misspelled one word, I'll be out of touch, I am here, and they spelled it H-E-A-R instead of H-E-R-E, which could have been a clue to mom and the U.S. government and everybody, look out, they've got my passwords. Interesting? So they were sophisticated enough to know what they wanted, but they just said to the guy, we're torturing you, you could die, give us your passwords, and guess what, he gave it up. A quick comment, Prakash? Sure. So banks could be uh, monitoring their, the location from which these transactions came from. So in, the, in other words, IP address information. Right. And monitoring velocity. If, they are, uh, if this is related to one or two cars that, the, that he had in possession and there was a uh, splurge uh, in a short period of time, that's a flat red flag as well. So there are a lot of ways the banks could have uh, identified the riskiness associated with these transactions and the deviation or the anomalous behavior of this particular. Interesting. $17,000 later. Luckily, he escaped. More stories, I'm sure, will come out. Thank you for the commentary. Nuno, let's talk. You're taking this even deeper with your quote. You say, when banking systems cannot distinguish customers from criminals, the bad guys win. To outsmart them, we have to fight fire with fire. So let's go on a fire drill with Nuno Sebastio from Feedzai. How do you fight fire with fire, Nuno? Help us out. Yeah, I mean, building on what Prakash was saying is exactly that. I mean, when 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 a bank cannot understand, is it really you that is logging in? Uh, by default, they actually let you go through because they, there's an intent or there's a business to transact. Uh, what happens is, how do you understand 
if there are similar behaviors, and in the case that you just mentioned, the guys were buying stuff, the, 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 and the bank was not necessarily monitoring that particular user. Um, so what happens when, I'm, when we mean fight fire with fire is you need to be able to detect at user level. So we, organizations need to understand at the one-to-one level of granularity what is going on. And that means, the fire part means, it's very sophisticated to do that. And the example you mentioned, they were probably not so sophisticated as the fraudsters. But the sophisticated organizations that you alerted before to, they employ very um, sophisticated techniques to behave like normal users. And that's where it becomes really hard if you're only building yourself based on things such as IP that we're mentioning before, things like mm-hmm. the traditional velocity rules. You have to really understand things such as this guy does not own a Mercedes. Why is he buying Mercedes? And this is the level of depthness that uh, we, need, we all need to go into to understand if, if your behavior, behavior pattern of purchasing actually fits with what we know about you. At the right. moment, very few organizations do that. And the, the sophisticated, the, the frauds, the rings out there, they know about this. That's why you might, you might own a brand A type of car, and if you buy, if you buy brand B type of parts, it will go through. Very interesting. And to think that he was in Syria, it must have been an IP address from somebody in Syria buying Mercedes car parts from a guy who travels on business almost didn't make any sense just at just at the core of the transaction. But more exactly. important, Nuno, do, do banks and companies have enough people to be, the French word is sur le qui vive, on the alert for this type of anomalous behavior? Just briefly, because I want to get Carl in on this segment. So, yeah, so I- yeah, go yeah, ahead. I, I, I would argue not so much about having the people. Is Are the banks ready from uh, a organizational perspective to have all of this, all the different stakeholders in the, in, the, in the bank working together? And B, are they leveraging the technology that sometimes they already have inside, so they have the data, uh, to be able to do these kind of stuff? It's not so much staffing up. It's more, are they... Uh, already pulling the, the resources, internal resources that they already have together to get this done. Thank you. We'll learn a lot more from you as we go on with the show. We're pushing the breakout, so we have plenty of time for you, Carl. Carl, great quote here, and, and you're really uh, augmenting what has been said already by Prakash and Nuno, but I want to hear your words of wisdom. You say, as fraudsters become more and more sophisticated, especially in the online and credit card space. Leveraging predictive analytics, that's what I want you to talk about, and immediate fraud detection must become the gold standard in the battle against fraud for banks and credit card companies. Carl, welcome again, and please talk to me. Thank you. Well, I'm just going to simply uh, build a little on, on what's already been said, but it's, it, it is so true that, um, you know, as I was uh, in the Internet banking space for many years and battling, um, you know, online fraud, and, uh, the, you know, the battle goes on, and they just become more and more sophisticated. And, the, you know, the idea here is to be able to stop the fraud before even the first transaction. And we'll probably talk about this a little later on, but it's yes. very interesting what happens that many times the fraud is stopped after the first transaction because the red flag is raised, as was just said by my two colleagues here, that um, oftentimes the login all of a sudden comes from 
Eastern Europe or some, from some other crazy place that I, as a customer, don't typically go to or that I've never been to. Mm-hmm. And when that occurs, what are we going to do to shut this down? And that's where the predictive piece comes into, in, into play here, is an understanding that if I can use real-time predictive analytics, then I could actually shut it down, again, real-time and predictive, those you know, two words, you know, mm-hmm. those ideas go together here. If I can do that, I literally can shut it down right now before losses actually occur. And to, to me, that's, as I said, where the, you know, this has got to become the gold standard, is that it's, it's no longer going to be good enough to shut down fraud after the first or second or third transaction because those transactions can be very large. And uh, you know, maybe in a credit card space, they might be only you know, four or $5,000. I've had mm-hmm. it myself. I, I got off a plane. I got a call from my credit, credit card company saying, did you just buy a TV in Paris? And I said, well, obviously <laughs> not because I'm just landing in Miami. Okay. That TV only cost the bank four or $500 in, in fraud right. as opposed to somebody logging on to your account, your online banking account, and transferring money to the tune of forty or $50,000 to another bank, and then it's gone for good. And so this is where real-time predictive must come into play and, as I said, become the gold standard in order to shut down fraud. Very interesting, Carl. Uh, We have a lot to talk about. Just another quick anecdote. My mother, who was in her mid-90s and still very mobile, and by the way, she's on the Internet, and she has computers and email and drives and all that good stuff, went to a store a couple weeks ago to buy just uh, groceries, I guess. Her credit card was declined, and she asked why, and they said, Chase stopped your credit card. Somebody in Florida has been charging groceries at Publix and charging meds at uh, Rite Aid or somewhere, so we shut it down. She didn't get a notification, or she did. It must have crossed paths in the mail, but her card was declined because Chase detected it, and then they had to send her another card. So very interesting. They were on the job. They just forgot to tell her that she shouldn't use the card anymore. So, And there, there are a lot, more, a lot more stories of the big city and the little city. You know what? I think we're going to give our guests a break. It's 1120 here in New York. Going to take a break. I'm going to ask Prakash Santana from Detroit, Deloitte, maybe Detroit one of these days, Nuno Sebastio from Feedsai and Carl Sider from SAP, to take a break, take a cup of something. And when we come back, I'm going to ask you, what's in your cup today? What are you drinking or what do you wish you were drinking Then we're going to dive deeper into our topic. Topic today is banking fraud. Can technology outsmart the bad guys, part two, and how? It's such a big topic. We're on part two, and a little birdie is telling me we might even have a part three coming in 2014. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Don't even think of touching that app, that mouse, that dial, that phone. We'll be right back. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. 
SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are, very much Sir Lekivive today on the alert. We're looking for ways to stop banking fraud. Is it banking? Is it credit cards? What are your habits? How are you shopping? How are you per- browsing and perusing? Who knows where you are, what you're using, and what are they doing to take your money? I've got three experts here with me on Coffee Break with Game Changers. We're speaking with Prakash Santana from Deloitte, Nuno Sebastio from Feedseye, and Carl Snyder from SAP. And now we're going to take a quick coffee break on air, and I'm going to ask my guests. What are you drinking today? Prakash from Deloitte, talk to me. What's in your cup or what do you wish you were drinking, Prakash? Uh, excellent question. Uh, the last time you asked me this question, I had a lame answer, so I decided I, before the show <laughs> I should travel all the way to India to get some exotic beans, which I did. So I've got pea berry and plantation Arabic, Arabica blended in my coffee cup. Full body, you're, very flavorful. <laughs> you're not charging the trip to my credit card, I hope. <laughs> We'll talk about that later. I think we will. You're buying. (laughs) Thank you, Prakash. That was one of the best answers we've ever had. We've had some doozies too. Thank you very much. Does it? Does it? What does it taste like? Is it real? Is it rich? Is it? What is? Do you put anything in it? Uh, So it's rich. It's just with basic milk and and coffee and and it's drip. So it's very strong. It's ground to almost a Turkish grind. So it's very strong, full bodied, very flavorful, very rich. Loaded with caffeine, which you know they don't let me have on the radio days. No caffeine for Bonnie. Wonder why. Okay, great. You've got, I gotta stop laughing here. Nuno Sebastio from Feedside. What's in your cup today, Nuno? Talk to me. I, I don't know. So, I mean, it's pretty cold this morning, so I'm having a very nice cup of uh, tea, chamomile tea to be precise. Nothing fancy, just plain old fashioned tea. It sounds very relaxing. I, I like chamomile tea. Good choice. And Carl Snyder, what are you drinking today? Well, I'm afraid I'm going to answer one of those lame, lame answers that Prakash said. But last time I was on this show, I had a, I just had cracked open a really nice ice cold Coke Zero, which I just love in the morning. Mm-hmm. Well, since then I've been, uh, my my wife has persuaded me to get out of the soda habit, and so I've just got a big tall glass of ice water here. And I, but when you say what, what do I wish was in my cup? Yes, let's go I there. Wish I had that really big ice cold Coke Zero right now. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a coffee drinker, a tea zero, tea drinker, and a Coke Zero drinker. I like that. And we, of course, you're all waiting breathlessly. I know for what Malcolm is drinking because everybody does. He's so famous. So Malcolm Kimberlin at SAP, my co-producer in influencer relations, and he does it so well, is drinking Phil's Coffee's Mocha Tesora. He says, oh, I love this, it's poetry, deep in earthy notes and black as the night. Ooh, okay, and we can use that theme for Thieves Undercover. I want to tell the three of you a news item that broke here on Long Island about three weeks ago, and then we're going to continue our conversation. It was discovered that some 
very clever thieves had planted miniature cameras on the Long Island Railroad outdoor kiosks where you insert your credit card face up into the machine and using a touch screen, you select your trip, where you're going and whether you're a senior or whether you're a, 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 in the adult range or whether you need any tokens for the subway in New York, back and forth to Penn Station, blah, blah, blah. They were uncaught for several months. I happened to be using one of those machines the day after the news item broke and I was very happy that I had heard about it, but they had embedded tiny cameras with adhesive right above where your hand would be sliding your credit card into the re, the uh, receptacle on the machine. Uh, Prakash, before I ask you the question about customer authentication, was that clever of them or was that just plain dumb? Um, no, so it's actually a very um, routine uh, method. So what they would do is put a skimmer device where you put your credit card in so it could scrape off the mag, information on the mag stripe on the back of the card. And they need a PIN number. To get the PIN number, they obviously need a camera to record the PIN numbers. And then they oh. put the two together. So there's one device capturing cards and the other device uh, capturing PIN numbers as you type in. And they put the two together to make sure they've got the card information and the PIN information. They go on the Internet, internet and sell that data. So the best way to do it anytime, anywhere, any, anywhere you go, right, when you type your PIN number, close, mm-hmm. close your, what you're typing with your other hand. Put, uh, cover it. Cover what you're typing so nobody can see it. Okay. Well, in this case, it was just a swipe. There was no no PIN number at all. You were just selecting your trip and whether you wanted any tokens and whether you needed a receipt. So it was just a push the card in, pull the card out, and that was it. So it was purely camera-based. But good to know that they're clever. How bold and brazen is it to walk up to a kiosk at a busy Long Island Railroad station and slap a camera on it and then just go home and lick your chops and rub your hands together and say, wow, we've got all this in this good neighborhood of, of wealthy people. We're just going to get their credit card numbers and we're going to have fun this Christmas. Anyway, I, I still think it's very ballsy and gutsy and, and I'm glad they were caught. So let's go into, let's talk about how technology can work. I want to talk to you, Prakash, first about customer authentication strategy. And you say we need to have a comprehensive multi-factor authentication strategy. What exactly does that mean? And then I'm going to ask Nuno and Carl to comment on it as well before we move further into our topic. So go ahead, Prakash. Sure. So multi-factor authentication strategies, it's basically based on three questions. Um, what, what do you know, what do you have, and who are you? So what do you know is a password that you normally memorize. Uh, what do you have could be your physical card, could be a, a key fob-like device that generates one-time password and so on. And who you are is something that's part of you. It could be a biometric data like your fingerprint, retina scan, and so on. So the authentic, as you add a factor to uh, authenticating a customer, so let's say a customer shops online and the bank wants to know if it is indeed the right customer, if the bank simply asks uh, or the merchant simply asks for a password to the account, then that's called one factor. And usually those, that password is static and it can be easily compromised. The two-factor part comes in when you not only have to type in your password, but you need to have a device. It could be a reader that gen- reads your physical card, or it could be a key fob that generates one-time passwords. So, in other words, it puts another obstacle in, the, in front of the criminal. So not only is it's not sufficient anymore that if you know a customer's password to access an account, you need to have the physical device that's been sent to the customer. So it's, again, very difficult. The third factor okay. is 
even if those two are compromised, it's still impossible to get in because you don't have the customer's fingerprint or the retina scan. So that's what that's what uh, we need uh, in a when when customers access a bank account or any any account with financial information. The the more the number of factors asked, the less mm-hmm. the chance that the uh, the account could be a compromised account. And usually uh, that plays hand in hand with customer experience as well. The more factors you have, the less like uh, less likely that customers are going to have a good experience. So there's obviously a balance. Uh, today, it is very, it's almost a requirement for any bank or any financial institutions to have at least two factors. Um, and, in, in, and as you know, iPhone just launched the fingerprint technology, which is a biometric technology to authenticate a customer. So, uh, so when I talk about authentication strategies, a bank has to figure out and weigh the pros and cons of uh, introducing uh, multi-factor authentication and, and weigh it against the risk involved in uh, allowing the customer to transact with those factors. Thank you, Prakash. I want Nuno and Carl to jump in, but I also want to bring up the question of customer experience you mentioned. And and early in the beginning of the show, we talked about, I think we're talking about convenience factors for customers and the fact that uh, it makes it so easy when the bad guys, bad gals, I have to be PC here, get a hold of enough information to go in and ask for a password reset. That's carte blanche for them to create any password they want. So my question to you, uh, let's turn to Nuno and Carl on this one. How lazy are people? How little are they willing to do to have that customer experience? They want convenience. They want ease. They want, wow, I, I swiped the card. I got my transaction. I get my statement, blah, blah, blah. Are we because of our laziness and our forgetfulness and our lack of discipline in taking care of our own passwords and our security, are we opening the door and the window for cyber criminals to jump in? Nuno from Feedside, what do you think? Are, are we making it easier for them? Yes. I mean, and, uh, and in one thing that is really important is that every organization that is out there transacting and selling is the balance between having the measures to make the transaction safe and getting in the way of the transaction so that it happens and that a lot of them uh, happen. So organizations are always balancing. I mean, if they wanted in extremis, they can have, they could have very secure systems out there. The issue is they would be very intrusive. They would be very uh, in the middle of the transaction and the drop rates, the conversion rates would, would go through, through, uh, uh, through the floor. So what the balance is how do you have the measures in place that Users or consumers don't even see them. They don't have to carry a fault. They don't have to carry uh, 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 or to receive an SMS in their mobile phone after they did something online on a website um, to be able and still be able to understand that the transaction is being safe. There was a recent breach uh, in one of the very big uh, software manufacturers, and something like 153 million credit cards were stolen. The problem was not so much the credit cards because they they go into a blacklist and all the issuers and the and the and the networks block them immediately. The problem was that there was also breach all the passwords that people had there, and people, as you say, are very very lazy. So the correlation yes. between or the probability of the people reusing the passwords that were there in other places where other credit cards belonging to the same person could be used. It's very, very high, and that's that's where the risk lies. It's not so much in the 153 million cards that were that were stolen from there. Is mm-hmm. can I use these login credentials to go elsewhere? Where and people typically have more than one credit card and use the other credit cards that would be on 
on file on the other merchants. And is this link of from one merchant to the other, to, a, to one card brand, to another card brand, that people, because they're social animals, and I wouldn't say that it's because they're lazy or not, it's just the way we are wired, we tend mm-hmm. to use the same authentication factors over and over and over and over. And that's where in the, the problem lies when you try to protect up front, people will reuse the same stuff. So what we see a lot is people in the back end, and I think Carl has a say on that, on the prediction analytics, on the behavioral stuff, on the kind of tools that as soon as you buy, as you click checkout or buy, then defense measures go into place without getting in the way. And this is the delicate balance mm-hmm. that organizations need to go into. Thank you, Nuno. No, Carl, I want you to jump in. Carl, and, and Carl, I'd like you to comment on what Nuno and Prakash have said, but i also like you to get into the loss of the money loss, the monetary loss to the banking industry, the credit card industry, where you say traditional fraud tools, which are pretty good, typically work only after one or more fraudulent transactions right. have been made, losing the industry millions and millions. So let's talk about the balance from the other side, Carl. What is the amount of loss that the industry can sustain before they go out of business and they get at risk? Go ahead. Yeah, that's a tough question. I mean, and, and I'm not sure that everybody is exactly transparent with saying how much they lose in in you know, ah, fraudulent losses per year. Um, every credit card company and such. But uh, I will tell you that the the onus has really been put on the banks, right, and the credit card companies. Yes. When a loss occurs, you know, they they take the loss. As a matter of fact, when I again when I was um, responsible for the online and mobile channels um, before coming to SAP, I um, you're, 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 every time a fraud happens, even if it's from complete malware and everything on the customer side, the bank is still stuck in this position of, are we going to refund all of this? And what's, what happened in, then is, um, you know, every bank has come out with kind of a, a statement that says, we've got your back, customers. We are going to take care of you. Here is a and they just give a carte blanche statement saying, when it comes to fraud, we've got your back. And many, many banks across the entire country, big and small, have this statement that they put right out there because they know in the end they're going to take the loss anyway. So what mm-hmm. they do is use it as a, as, a, as a marketing statement to say, hey, we're, you know, we'll take care of you in, in, the event of, uh, in the event of fraud. And this is exactly what, you know, this is a, a real, as it was, was said, a real delicate balance here. You know, if I can just take a, a quick, I'll just make a statement here about what was, uh, I think Prakash said this earlier about, you know, you asked the question about, you know, customers and, and what is their responsibility in this. And, mm-hmm. you know, many banks have got fraudulent tools that they want you to secure your own device with. So your laptop or your PC or your, you know, and, and they'll, they'll try to get, we, we would try to get customers to sign up. Here's a free tool. We're willing to pay for it. Please install this on your computer, because and? in essence, it can wrap it can wrap mm-hmm. that session between you and the bank and secure it. For the most part, nothing is ever impenetrable. But you know, the fraudsters go to the path of least resistance for them. So if it's you know, so we would really try to get our customers to take a more uh, proactive approach, and as was talked about with multi-factor authentication, mm-hmm. business customers. Those who are doing business online banking and business mobile banking, they are very, very accustomed to multi-factor authentication. So they know that they're, 
they need to log on and use a one-time password, just like with many of us when we log into the VPN from home for our work. You know, there's a, there's a token or something that we need to put in. But consumers, so where is the balance between a great customer experience and let's protect ourselves against fraud and let's protect you against fraud as a customer? And that fine line is out there somewhere, and everybody's trying to find where that line is because I, I want my customers to have a great experience. At the same time, I'm taking losses in fraud, and, and how, do I, how do I deal with that, with that balance, as, um, as was said? So it's, it's not an easy thing. So, so how much is being lost out there? It's a great question. I mean, I think if we ask some of the very largest credit card companies, my own opinion is I think we would be shocked to know how much they lose. And all of this impacts all of us. Right, because they're not, they can't just take the fraud. So you asked the question, Bonnie, is, you know, how long can they sustain themselves? Yes. They can't continue to take millions and millions of dollars of losses and not try to re- recoup that. So where do they recoup it? In fees, in interest rates. We're all paying for the fraud as a, you know, as a collective group, you know, call it the community of, of everybody who uses credit cards. Ultimately, we're all paying for the fraud that occurs. So it behooves all of us to collectively battle this. So what can I do as an individual then to battle the fraud by making sure that my computer has, you know, anti-malware software, et cetera, et cetera, to, to prevent that from happening? Thank you, Carl. Yeah, go ahead. Who's talking? Yeah, this is Prakash. I'd like to Please. add to what Carl said. Uh, yes. So first, if you took, it's interesting, it's important to look at how banks define loss. So if you ask a credit card company what is their loss, they'll say somewhere between 12 and 15 basis points, which means it's 12 to 15 cents for every $100 in sales. But not, but what they're not counting are the, uh, the loss that they have actually shifted over to the merchant side. Because any credit card transaction that's done online, uh, if it is fraudulent, they can shift it to the merchant side. So, so if you look at total loss, that's not just on the card issuing side. It's also on the merchant side. You have to combine the two. It's pretty high. Um, so when you look, when you talk to a bank about fraud loss, it's only the loss that they write on their write in their books. It's not mm-hmm. the loss that they've shifted over to the merchant side. So that's the unfortunate thing. Everybody shifts tries to shift liability as part of a fraud prevention mechanism. So what does a customer do? A customer, when you, when you get a statement and you get a fraudulent transaction, you call the bank and you shift the liability. It's not yours, it's the bank's. The bank then tries to shift liability over to the merchant. And if it's successful, mm-hmm. then the bank doesn't have it, it's the merchant. Uh, so there's no incentive on the customer side to adopt fraud prevention solutions, just as Carl mentioned. On the banking side, yes, they have incentive to prevent fraud prevention solutions as long as it doesn't impact their uh, books. For example... Uh, there's something called 3D Secure that's available. That allows um, to, uh, merchants to ensure that when card customers transact online, uh, they use if they use something called 3D Secure, they'll be asked to enter a passphrase or a password uh, to protect the transaction. But merchants, obviously, it's going to be a cost factor for the merchants to allow customers to do this. Well, so merchants, in turn, want a shift in liability. In other words, if they allow customers on their site to transact via 3D Secure, they want those transactions to be guaranteed and don't want any fraud on those transactions. So the liability shifts back to the issuing site. So there's always this battle of who's mm-hmm. going to accept the blame. <laughs> so that's the problem. 
That's who's one on, of the, yeah. Who's on first? Now, I, I have a question. We're going to take a break at 49. That gives us eight minutes. I want to shift the conversation away from the consumer experience and where the balance goes, where the blame goes, the, the experience of, gee, is my credit card company making it too hard for me? And what do you mean somebody stole my card? Who's going to pay for that to – Damn, my merchant won't take my credit card because my transaction's under $10. And, wow, the fees have gone up. Let's get away from all that and let's talk about who the criminals are. How did they get so sophisticated? What did they know, Carl, for example, about predictive analytics that maybe they can predict where the best theft is, where the best take is, or the best haul of credit card numbers, or the best kiosks to put their little mini scanner cameras to steal credit cards as, as people are swiping them for anything from a commuter card to, uh, to commuter transaction to groceries or, or something else. So who are they? How did they get so smart? And can we stop them? Are they among us? Are they disgruntled employees? Are they data scientists coming out of college who say, life of crime sounds pretty sweet to me. I'll go that direction instead of this direction. Carl, why don't you start us with that, and then I want to hear from both of the other panels. Who are these criminals, Carl Snyder? I'll start by saying yes and yes and yes. Um, Okay. (laughs) I um, made that easy. (laughs) What's really interesting, what's interesting is, 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 and I've said this for years, if these people – some of these people would focus on important things like curing cancer or, or, or other things. We, we would be so much further ahead as a, society, as a society. These people, some of them are really, really intelligent. Mm-hmm. These, these are very, some of these are very, very sophisticated fraud schemes, and these people are very good at what they do. Now, there's all across the spectrum, and I'll, I'll use an, an anecdote that, in the United States, when I go down to the local Chili's and go have lunch or go have dinner, and I hand, I hand the server my credit card, right, or my debit yes. card, they mm-hmm. go to the back room. They come back a few months, a few minutes later. They hand me the receipt. Do you know the United States is one of the last countries? So if you go up north of the border here to Canada, they don't do that. They bring the machine to you at the table, because oh. this is where one where one area where fraudsters get the money or get the so when we talked about the skimming devices mm-hmm. uh, you know on an atm machine or something right. well, one of the ways is we found that waiters uh, servers will have a skimming device in their pocket they go to the back room they swipe the card they put the skimmer back in their pocket they come back out and give you your receipt it's as some of it is as low tech as that mm. up to writing down your credit card number up to the very sophisticated where they're putting you know where they're where they're putting malware on your on your you know computer and they're they're called keystroke loggers right and they're literally watching all these keystrokes and when they see a, a, an entry into your computer that happens to say wellsfargo.com bam they, they're on it and now they're watching the keystrokes that happen once you hit wellsfargo.com or any bank i'm just picking out a a bank name here they're now looking for what are the next characters that are happening the enter button is pushed, the next characters are being pushed, and the enter button is being pushed. And now they've got your bank name, your login, and your password. And Carl, is this just one person your... looking? Is this one per- is this a, Are there well, like think... boiler rooms, boiler rooms of hundreds of, of people sitting there saying, oh, my God, Carl Snyder just keystroke Wells Fargo. We're going to go in and find him. So who are these? How many well, are I, there I of them? A, a lot of them come from uh, – my personal experience was we had a number of them from Eastern Europe, and I think they're, they're teams of people. There are uh, large groups. 
Some of them are, you know, like I said, are very sophisticated. Some, some of them are simply taking, like you said, it may be a disgruntled employee who was in, in identity theft here in, as I was working on the Attorney General's task force. We found that there were uh, even bank employees from various banks who were simply selling identities, right, and credit card numbers and bank, card, bank account information in exchange for goods and services or, or cash. And so there's kind of everything in, in between here. But these, I think these very, there are very sophisticated mm-hmm. groups that are targeting, you know, from a, when I say keystroke logging, I think these are more sophisticated groups that are outside of the country because every time it happened in, in my organization, they came from Eastern Europe. That's where the login occurred. And so the key here then is intelligent security, right, is, is to know We've just had a login from Romania. Mm-hmm. Shut it down right now before the first transaction occurs. And, and that's how you, and as I said, these people are not, they don't want to break every code out there. They want the path of least resistance. And if they're going to send out 100,000 emails saying, your account has been suspended, please log in or please enter your information mm-hmm. here, they right. know they're going to get 10 of those people who will respond with, putting in their information. So nine, you know, 99,990 don't work, but 10 of them do. So now they have 10, you know, account informations. They just, the, and so these the are gold. big, you know, mm-hmm. multi-person operations and that's how they go after this. And boiler you know, rooms. Thank you, Carl. Approach, knowing they'll get yep. some. I want to get Nuno for one minute and I want to get Prakash a minute before we go to our break here. We're just about ready. So, Nuno, what are your thoughts on what Carl was saying? You want to add or subtract or, or um, pile on to what he's saying? Carl, talk to me. I mean, I think we, we have to look at it uh, and from our experience dictates that not as some rogue individuals, but there's an industry on the other side, an organized industry. And for them, it's a business. A business in the sense of there are what uh, Carl was saying, uh, people that collect these are called the harvesters. They harvest information. It can be an employee, it can be a server, it can be collusion, it can be some, uh, collusion between a merchant and uh, uh, some employees. It can be an employee of a merchant and so on. And these guys harvest data. Then that data is siphoned somewhere, some places, typically countries with where uh, legislation doesn't work, law enforcement is dubious, and so mm-hmm. on. And from there, online, then they have to go to the challenge of, okay, I have this data. Having a credit card number in itself is useless. It's how do you transform that into money? And then how do you redeem that money? And then there, there's, there's where the digital world comes into play. It's a lot easier to redeem money using digital type of stuff mm-hmm. than buying a TV and carrying it home and reselling it on a, on a, on a, on a flea market or something. Uh, we see a lot of stuff, for instance, in uh, on, online ticketing. Tickets, online tickets, they have generally fraud rates around 3%, so way higher mm-hmm. than, than uh, your natural or your normal uh, industry. And it's very easy to convert. You go, you buy a ticket online, the ticket is gone, uh, the promoter of the, of the concert wants the money, and it's very easy on the market to resell that. Then there's all sorts of schemes, very well organized, mule-based type of schemes, online transactions or transacting the, re- the rights to resell those digital goods and so on, that we see all, all happen. So, and then the challenge is these guys, we know they're in some of these legislations. They don't appear, in our data at least, they don't appear as coming from there. They're very sophisticated. So you, mm-hmm. they use indirection paths. 
and they appear sometimes as legit as any normal user out there. And that's why when I talk about fight fire with fire is uh, locking things as IPs from Romania, yes, but this is just a starting point. Today, the really good guys, the really good professionals on the other side are doing a much better job than this. And they appear almost as legit as any normal user out there. And, and there's the challenge. Really hard, really hard there's to, the challenge. to figure them out. Yeah. Prakash, can you comment for a minute so I can take a break? Because if you want to go longer, we'll skip the break and go straight through. I'm going to leave it up to you, Prakash. Talk to me. Okay, good. So I agree with what's been said before. Fraud is a service-oriented business. There are multiple players with, their, with expertise in one area of fraud, and they trade with others, example being a money laundering group. They trade uh, they, their expertise is in collecting bank accounts called mule accounts. And then there's the carding group where their expertise is in ca- capturing card information and selling it online. Or they leave and pa- send it to you via mail, a physical card with your name embossed on it. And then there are blended services like, you know, rogue hosting uh, and then attack services like malware authors, uh, zero-day vulnerability finders, and so on. But not all of them. You can call them as uh, fraud or illegitimate because if you look at zero-day vulnerability finders, their job is to find out vulnerability in any software and trade. And they even trade with nation states, including the U.S. The U.S. government pays them a lot of money to find vulnerabilities in software. So they're not considered illegal. So there's a fine line. It depends on whom they trade with and what the purpose is after the, the buyer of the software or the buyer of that information, what do they use it for? Next thing is, it's also important to understand that fraudsters are becoming, uh, cyber criminals especially, are becoming very sophisticated. They know all these technologies are looking at uh, uh, IP addresses and so on. So they are starting to use uh, spoofing services uh, like uh, mm-hmm. Thor, which was used on Silk Road, the website that was trading with bitcoins. The idea behind that is you will never be able to trace back to the original uh, or the initial IP address or the uh, or the uh, the initial origin of the transaction. That's the idea behind that. So they're getting more and more sophisticated. And the bottom line is, remember, that fraudsters don't need a business case to do anything. On the other hand, banks, to invest in fraud, they need business case and they need to satisfy everybody in the organization to implement anything. So that's the that's the advantage that fraudsters have. They can easily uh, exploit a vulnerability and quickly um, um, capitalize on it before that before the banks even wake up and uh, put a fix on it. And I bet they're having more fun than the banks and the credit card companies are. It's like, yeah. wow, rub your hands together. What's your wish today? Okay, we need another 100,000 cards. Guess what, guys? We don't have time for a break. We're going to go straight through. So I'm going to ask you to take 10 seconds. Prakash and Nuno and Carl, go quickly find the crystal ball. I don't know. It's in the car, the attic, the basement, outside in the yard. Polish it off real fast. I'm going to give Prakash just 10 seconds to think about it, and I'm going to ask you to predict. If we had this conversation five years from today that's 2018 almost 2019 how bad would the situation be will we the good guys and gals have outsmarted the bad guys and gals using very smart technology like the predictive analytics that carl was talking about so i can give you let's see we actually only have five minutes till the end so we've really got to go fast prakash Santana from deloitte i'm going to give you one minute on the clock to give me your predictions five years from today what will we be talking about uh, we'll still be playing catch up because, as mm-hmm. I said, you know, fraudsters come with uh, come up with innovative ways 
to find uh, to exploit weaknesses in our systems. And on the other hand, banks have this problem of dealing with uh, business cases, customer experience, and mitigating fraud. So banks have to still deal with uh, customers who are using, let's say, Windows Millennium to shop online or, or access their accounts. Uh, fraudsters don't have those issues. They can still they can find any weakness that's available and exploit it. So the bottom line is we'll be playing catch-up. Uh, as technology gets more sophisticated, fraudsters will get sophisticated, and the key goal is to be very close to them and not lag behind them. Okay. Do you think there might be a college major in five years called fraud detection analytics? For it's already there. <laughs> is it really? Tell me yeah, where. Where? Many, where? Many colleges are already offering it. <laughs> I'm either really smart or really ignorant. I can't tell. Okay, thank you. Very, no comment from you. Nuno Sebastio from FeedsEye. Five years from today, are you still going to be in business? Or are you going to have an explosion in your services in terms of fraud detection? Talk to me, Nuno. Um, I was thinking about it. and Banks have been balancing uh, this for hundreds of years now. And mm-hmm. banks are not robbed anymore today at... Uh, the way they used to be when they were carrying money uh, in those wagons in the 18th century or 19th century. So right. It will shift. It will be different. It will be uh, uh, other mechanisms. It comes to my mind digital currencies that are now a nascent uh, um, phenomenon. Uh, they will be probably more in use, and banks will still, banks and the whole ecosystem will still be balancing how do you keep in business while keeping fraud at an acceptable uh, level for you to conduct your business. That I don't see that changing. It will be different. It will be with different techniques, different approaches, but that balance will still be uh, need to be achieved. Okay, thank you very much, and I hope you'll still be around. We're going to have this conversation in five years. You know, I'm going to find you. And <laughs> Carl Snyder from Carl Snyder from I will Carl Snyder from SAP. Five years from today, what will you be talking about? How sophisticated will predictive analytics from SAP be by then, Carl? And, and will they be doing making huge inroads on detecting crime, fraud, crime, banking online, credit card fraud before it happens? What do you think? Well, I do agree with Prakash that. It, it, <clears throat> that the fraudsters stay very, very sophisticated, and they will continue to be sophisticated, and uh, we will always be, you know, kind of chasing them. However, I do, I am optimistic that the real-time um, predictive analytics is is what you know can uh, what will be in enforced, and will be kind of the, as I said earlier, the gold standard mm-hmm. in fraud um, prevention and detection out mm-hmm. there in the in the marketplace, and. Uh, if it can be done in real time and if predictive models can truly be can be used, then I think that the, there can be a serious dent put in the um, in the fraudsters. But as as has been said, the fraudsters will stay ahead of it, and we do need to rely on the consumer. And and mm-hmm. I I, I want to say in my crystal ball that I could see that the that the average consumer, you and me, that we become better and more sophisticated at battling fraud from our end. There needs to be more education to the consumers on battling online fraud and and credit card fraud. 
Thank you, Carl. And I would add to that not only education, but we need to care. We need to make it matter to us. It needs to be part of our habits, part of our personas, part of our online behavior. We need to look at our statements. We need to be careful who sees our cards. We need to leave no paper trail or other trail. Be careful with our passwords. It's a whole consumer education. If we, the consumer, are more careful, I have a feeling we can help make inroads on reducing bank fraud because there will be less opportunity. I have 30 seconds to close. Guess what? Next week is November. November 27th here on Coffee Break with Game Changers, day before Thanksgiving. I'm taking a day off, but we're going to replay a fantastic episode from October 9th. It was called Sports Goes High Tech Score. My guests that day were Michael Glidman from the NBA, unbelievable Marcus Bauer from Sailing Team Germany, Jen Cohen Crompton, a blogger at Something Creative, and Steve Peck from SAP. Great quotes from them, great information on how are sports thriving and moving and winning and scoring using high tech. And let's see, tomorrow, Startup Focus with Game Changers, my Thursday show, 4 p.m. Eastern. We're going to talk about how do startups, tech startups in particular, deal with the government. You know, every day, the red tape, local, regional, national government. And what if the startups want to sell to the government? How do they navigate all of that red tape? Learning to get along, startups and government. Next Tuesday, HR Trends with Game Game Changers, 12 noon Eastern. Our topic will be talent trends, career development. You don't want to miss that one. Special thank you to Prakash Santana from Deloitte. You were wonderful as always. Nuno Sebastio, thank you for the time. You're always a great contributor. Carl Snyder, terrific to have you back on the show. I have shout-outs to Malcolm Kimberlin for tweeting and his great coffee order. Michael Nixon at SAP, thanks for connecting me with Carl again. Shout-out to Eric Stein. I know you're busy. We miss you. And a shout-out to Loke at Feedseye for connecting us with Nuno and Brad and the Business Channel team. Put your seatbelts on, kids. I have a call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another live edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP. See you tomorrow right here on the Business Channel for Startup Focus with Game Changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.